Content warning. One swear word, a mention of fascism, and several graphic depictions of murder, death, rotting, anxiety, and other discomforts. It rained today. The sort of rain that batters the roof and fogs up the kitchen windows. Outside was a gray blur, with the yard trees bending and shaking threateningly. I decided to wait to explore the garden another day. Something about rainy days makes me feel... quiet. Like usually I've got three conversations and a mediocre sitcom running inside my head all at the same time, but... all just turns off for the sound of rain. So I noticed things I hadn't noticed before. The pattern of the rainbow quilt on my bed looked like grinning faces. The pastoral oil painting on my wall had a pink gingham blanket picnic, all laid out full of food, next to the pond with the geese, but there weren't any people sitting on it. The dresser had funny gashes in the wood, like something with gigantic claws had tried to open the drawers. There were holes in the socks I had packed. I wore them anyway. The little black cat was still soundly asleep, so I left the room quietly. The banister wobbled a little to the touch, and every stair step creaked in a different way. The floor felt cold through the holes in my socks. I heard Laverna and Doubleday having a spirited discussion downstairs. About what? I have no idea. Because it wasn't in any of the languages I speak, and it wasn't even a language I recognized. When I came into the kitchen, they stopped abruptly. Oh, good morning, May. The cats didn't bother you today, did they? No, they didn't. Oh, good. This is their day off, you know. Also, May, we thought we'd let you know. Stefano had to leave, but there'll be someone else for you to talk to tomorrow. He left? That's weird. He said he'd be here all weekend. Something must have come up then. He left in quite the hurry. I hope he's alright. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be fine, dear. Let's hope, shall we? I gathered my courage through breakfast, and when I heard an opportunity to ask my question without feeling weird about it, I asked them, What language were you speaking earlier? Oh, that, uh, that was Latin. We prefer to read books in their original languages, so naturally we know quite a few words, nothing to brag about. We like speaking Latin and ancient Greek together because very few people can understand it. In a way, it's our own secret language. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, that's fantastic. Uh, how many languages do you speak? They looked at each other and smiled. Oh, honey, when you're as old as we are, you've had plenty of time to practice. We speak quite a few. And we can read even more. If you're curious, you're welcome to browse our library. It's organized by subject, language, and what the author's biggest fears were. No need to ask for permission. Any book is a book you're welcome to read. Oh, just be kind with them and give them to Oscar when you're done. He'll put them back for you. Oscar? Yes, the chunky reddish-brown cat who lives behind the armchair. You can leave the books with him, or on his bed if he's not around. That was all the prompting I needed. A writer unleashed in a house full of books. 
I tried to be cool and collected about it, but I felt like a squirrel who'd been handed a bird feeder. I walked around, giddy, pulling books off the shelves and out from stacks, trying to figure out which rooms corresponded to which subjects. The hallway stacks might have been a collection of absurdist literature on one side, but on the same section were books on postmodern art. In the dining room, there were old glass cabinet bookshelves full of dystopian literature, utopian treatises, and manifestos. In other places, I found science fiction, I found how-to manuals, I found books about mythical creatures and old religions I'd never heard of, and I found books that defied all categories, books I could hardly describe. The books were written in all the languages I could think of and others that I was too afraid to ask about. They were written in English, in Korean, in German, in French, in Spanish, in Portuguese, in scripts I recognized as Chinese, Japanese, Hindi, Tibetan. I found a handful of books written in a language made from overlapping circles and squares and triangles, and every page of those books were laminated. There were books that were printed and books that had been written by hand, in blocky capital letters, or in calligraphy pen, or in a scratchy, rusted color shorthand that I hoped was just weird ink and not blood. In the parlor, I found the poetry. I nearly squealed out loud to see it all. I was sitting on the floor, pulling books out from an antique love seat, when I heard a trill of a little meow behind me. Meow. I looked up and saw the little black cat the one they decided to name after Stefano. He jumped on my shoulder and peered down at my books in my hand as though he were reading too. He wasn't too heavy, and his shoulder felt warm and soft to my cheek, so I let him stay until I had to get up. Carrying an armful of books and a cat would be a little too much. I continued my browsing, and he followed after me. Without a doubt, the strangest section was tucked behind a door in the second floor. All of the books on these shelves were bound in the same dark blue fabric, and they were all the same height. But some of the books were very thick, and others were very thin. They were all called some version of the same thing. Secrets, and then a Roman numeral. They were completely out of order. I pulled down a few. Secrets 19, Secrets 58, and Secrets 32. I added them to my stack. At this point, my arms were full of precariously piled books, and I went up the last stretch of the staircase with all the care and balance of a tightrope walker. Stefano the cat pitter-pattered along after me. He was ridiculously clumsy for a cat, and slipped and fell down the stairs three separate times. I called after him, pss, 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 and he got to the top of the stairs eventually. I spread my armful of books out on the bed and lay down to catch my breath. I listened to the sound of rain. Then I heard a thump. Stefano had tried to jump on the bed and failed miserably. Okay, okay. I picked him up and put him on the blanket. He kitten-stepped over one of the books batted it open, and lay down on top of it with his chin on the page. He stared at the page intently, seeming to focus on one word, and then another, and then another, 
left to right, top to bottom, and I felt almost scared because cats can't usually read. But you know, it wasn't the weirdest thing I've seen in this house, so I tried to ignore him and focused on skimming the other books I gathered. I flipped through the books of Numbered Secrets first. They were biographies. The Life and Times of Heather Ann Brown, of Mario Joseph Cortez, of John Alexander Stenger. Published in 1968, in 1943, and in 1884. But they looked like they had been bound on the same day, because they were all the same in terms of wear and tear. If they were so old, how are they in such good condition? The pages weren't even very yellowed. But that wasn't all, because other things about these books confused me more. Each book was published the same year that its person of subject died, which seemed damn near impossible. Also, none of the books had endings. They each had a final chapter titled, Disappearance and Death. But the pages of those final chapters were blank. They weren't a standard number of blank pages, though. John's last chapter had two blank pages, Mario's had eight or nine, and Heather's had something close to forty. Forty pages, all blank. I worried that maybe they were words, but I just couldn't see them. What troubled me most of all about these biographies is that the people they discussed never did anything important. Normal, random people don't get biographies written about them unless their family or friends write one, and these weren't by family or friends. Their tone was cold, affectionless, historical. They were based only on the facts that stretched through these people's mundane, uneventful lives. John came to California in the gold rush in 1852, and gambled away the only gold nugget he ever found. Mario worked as a carriage driver and had a wife and two sons, but one of them died of typhus. Heather didn't have a job, because her husband wouldn't let her. She ended up smothering him to death with a pillow, but no one ever discovered it was her. That's what the book said. No one knew she had killed him. If no one knew, how did the author of the book know? I was creeped out. So I took them downstairs, put them back with the other cursed biographies, and decided that reading mysterious fiction and poetry would be enough for today. One book was tiny and bound in animal skin. It was full of strange little somethings, and it had no author named. The words were in English, but the cadence of them felt slightly odd. None of them were titled. I found them completely immersive. Take your crescent moon fingers, slittle down the stem dainty of a dandelion bloom, nighttime silver, all and every petal sharpened underneath, up and down, split it open and drink the blood, blooming pearls of bitter white, scratchy on your tongue, mutter twice, turn Wittershins thrice, it is done, and you have done it. Once there was a demigirl, dilly-dilly-dally, with braided hair and overalls, dilly-dilly-dally. They only loved to knit and purl, dilly-dilly-dally. They didn't like their job at all, dilly-dilly-dally. They wished to live a cottage life, dilly-dilly-dally, 
with chickens and goats and melon vines. Dilly dilly dally. They hadn't a dog, they hadn't a wife. Dilly dilly dally. When they went missing, the world went on fine. Dilly dilly dally. Just a little more magic than usual, Grey Fox. Smart young man with sharp eyes. Pointy face full of resting questions. And the knowledge that nothing has forever answers. Grin remembering it every night you danced. With the moon cradled in your paws. What silver secrets will you tell? Only hold on your tongue and savor. And in between the pages of this book, I found a separate piece of paper, which was muddy and covered in a barely legible scrawl. I died yesterday in the flower garden. Sunshine kisses my skin goodbye. Still and stiff in my cheap white nightgown. A bed of daisies where I lie. I died last week in the flower garden. It rained and now I'm damp as the earth, making friends with lots of worms, so glad to fill their mouths with mirth. I died last year in the flower garden. Now I'm nothing more than bones, covered in moss and bushy daisies, settled into my new home. Another little gray book was titled, Jokes. What do you call the ghost of a capitalist? A member of the bourgeoisie. If your thigh and your calf get a divorce, what would they have over your knee? Joint custody. <laughs> a man walks into a barn to find all the patrons lying on the floor, completely silent. What's all this, he asks. Corpse simulation hour, the bartender replies. You can't expect them to be happy all the time. <laughs> I picked up another book which had a cover carved out of wood and blotchy red paper. It was a novel based on a diary, it said. It didn't say what year the diary was written, and as I read, I realized there were a lot of years in which it could have taken place. Boredom was too great a word for what he felt. He felt a violent stagnation tearing him limb from limb. He felt his body numb and his nervous system scream, Save yourself! Please, for fuck's sake, save yourself! Save himself from what he did not know. He tried cleaning his room. He tried showering. He tried leaving voicemails with all his representatives, and he tried taking breaks from the news. He tried calling his friends, and he tried writing love letters. It helped. It distracted, at least for the moments that he was occupied. But then he was left again, back with no company but the soul-sucking void in his own thoughts. He knew it was getting bad when the room still felt quiet with music blasting. When he said, I love you, but felt nothing inside because his heart had been eaten by the endless empty. He wondered, who am I when I'm by myself? Who am I when I'm not missing everyone who's not around? So he left the home he rented, locked the doors behind him. He headed to the forest, bringing very little, knowing nothing about where he was going and caring even less. He walked until he found it, a giant cedar tree on the top of a hill, with gnarled roots spread out beneath it like lion's paws. He nestled himself among the roots and thought about what might happen if he fell asleep there. Someone could steal his shoes, 
someone could cut his throat. But would he mind? Oh, to have the horrible pain of it, feel the cold knife open him from ear to ear, feel the red gurgle hot and wet down his chest, and soak into the giant roots of the great old tree. He almost wanted it. What a pretty place to die. But he did not fall asleep. Instead, he opened his notebook and wrote 30 anxious questions about the world. If I live to leave this tree, where will my bravery or cowardice lead me? Will I be only one more number in some future statistic for people dragged from their homes for defying fascism? Or worse yet, will I bail when I'm needed? to live the rest of my life twisted apart by guilt and shame, and to die from falling down the stairs, just as dead as I would have been, but having contributed nothing. Will my desire for a life full of softness and love keep me from putting my body in the crossfire to defy systemic violence? If one may be labeled a terrorist for opposing hypernationalism, militarism, and racial scapegoating, should I wait for the knock on my door? Should I practice escaping from my bathroom window? It seems too early to flee the country for being queer and anti-fascist. But if I wait, will it be too late? Then he saw a woodpecker. And it made him smile, so he wrote a poem about it. I want to be a woodpecker, to be small and soft, unashamed of my body, as I pry into the bark and find small, tasty things, the same delight of cracking open pistachios, opening up, eating bugs, and I want to plot with my love to carve a little hollow in the bones of a grandmother tree and fill it with feathers and moss and live in it and worry about nothing. His heart split open like a thrown watermelon, and he felt longing again. So he went home, still full of questions, but knowing now what the turmoil inside of him looked like. The last book I picked up was full of love poetry. It was small and pink, with butter-yellow pages that were nearly translucent, and felt as fragile as dragonflies' wings. I opened it to a random page and a poem caught my eye. It was titled, For a Certain Bibliophile, with only the letters C and B capitalized. It went like this. I love you in a barefoot flower field way. Tuck my heart behind your ear, weave me into your hair. There is nothing this world can throw at us that will faze me, because I love you. I love you, I love you. Dangerous as tiptoeing around thorns and sweeter than blackberries. Fill me up with honey until I overflow. I am yours. Yours because I choose to be. For we are only animals standing hand in hand. Fragile, unbound, and full of warm blood and little worries. But who could worry while wrapped in your arms? I'll sell my soul to wild, breathless freedom and the knowing that you want me. I am yours, in the way a wandering pussycat may be, without ownership, just companionship, another being to breathe with and care for, 
and kiss like rain kisses flowers, like lovers kiss letters, like garden snails kiss the morning dew. You make me want to write poetry, which is to say, you make me excited to be alive. Another one. You're the reason rainy days make me smile, because gray never looked so beautiful until we woke up and you said, wait, is it raining? And ran to the window to check and shouted in glee. My love, so tired of easy bake oven suburbs, of hell between asphalt and wrathful sun waves. My miserable drizzle is your soft cold respite, and now I can't help but think of you when it rains. I still get sad sometimes about the missing sunshine, but I've learned to love it too. I closed the books, and sat in days. They all swirled in my head. Fictions, spells, love poems, the biographies of unimportant people. I felt full of words, full of aesthetics, full of questions, soft and somewhere else. I knew that I had to write something about the books in this house. I owed them their own chapter with poetic descriptions and exciting excerpts. So I went before the great and mighty typewriter and fed it a piece of paper. And I called my chapter, Picture Three, The Books. And I stared at it. It stared back and swallowed me entirely. What would I write? How could I possibly describe them well enough the way they all looked on the shelves? The way they looked in their piles, the way they looked stacked to the ceiling in places. I could describe some of them, but it would never capture the collective essence of them all together. The paper laughed at me. I got back up and paced around the room. I carried the books from the bed to the desk and stacked them like bricks of a castle around the typewriter. I would start with them, with the mysterious paragraphs and the way they made me feel. But no, I couldn't. I had to give some context. How I got to this point. Why was I reading all day? The rain beating at my windows, that's why. Cold and loud enough to throw me out of my own mind and back into my own body. I knew then what I needed. Something harsh. Something dramatic. Some kind of shock. It was 8.30 at night and the sun had just set, but the clouds made it look much darker and later. The yard outside looked like buckets of rain, dimly lit by a single porch light down the street, and I left my socks inside by the door and stepped out barefoot. To say that it felt like standing under an angry waterfall does not quite conjure the cold. Cold like Pacific Ocean water in Northern California. Cold like scooping ice cream with your hands. I gasped, laughing because it was horrible. The mud swelled between my toes. My shirt and pants clung to my skin, sucking the warmth out of me like death. My eyes stung from the water, so I closed them. Water ran into my mouth, so I spat it out. Only a minute of that, and I'd had enough. I stumbled back onto the porch, eyes still stinging and shut, and I bumped into someone. Out for a jaunt, hmm? Stay here. I'll grab you a towel. 
They disappeared into the house and came back with both a towel and a bathrobe. I just took them out of the dryer. They're nice and toasty. Thank you so much. The towel was so warm it nearly melted away my embarrassment. No worries at all. You must do what you must, as long as you don't track mud into the house. <laughs> they winked at me and left. I shivered on the porch and changed my soaking clothes for the warm robe. I wrung out my shirt and a whole quart of water came out. Laverna and Doubleday gave me a cup of tea in the kitchen, and I wished them good night. The halls were dim and orange from little nightlights, making the house into an other world of shadows. The glowing silhouettes of cats whispered by as I padded up, up, back to my room. I sat again by the typewriter, my inky button friend, and this time I wrote. This is Bex, writer and editor, and increasingly, sound designer, for Pictures of a Lavender House. Pictures of a Lavender House is produced by Aster Podcasting Presents in conjunction with the University of San Francisco's College Players. You can check out more of their podcasts by searching Aster Podcasting Presents, that's A-S-T-E-R, on your favorite podcast service, social media site, or general search engine. Endless thanks and adoration to our cast, who appear as follows. Janelle Malonzo as May, Eli Ramos as Doubleday, Dylan Vodzak as Laverna, Jaitrika Burmagunda as Stefano the Cat. This episode features the additional voice talents of Melody Maishman, Gabriela Brostowski, Kelsey Villanueva, Tal Manier, and Angel Velas. Attributes for sound effects and music are listed in the show notes. By the way, what do you call a goat with seven legs and jaws wide and sharp enough to dismember an elephant? You don't call it anything. You run. Thanks for listening.